Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another collaboration between the 104.601 podcast and the Homefield podcast. This will be one of our last collaborations before we make it official that we are partnering together. My name is Kevin Valentin. I am the host of the 104.601. And I'm Kyle Dabra. I'm the host of the Homefield podcast. Yo, my man Kyle, it's been two weeks. Your boy's been a little bit occupied, a little bit busy, but I'm back in the swing of things and I could not be happier. We got a whole lot of shit to talk about today and I'm hyped. So Kyle, give me what's on the agenda today, bro. So I mean, I mean, like you said, we got a lot to talk about. Um, we'll first go over the situation that happened with Tiger Woods on Tuesday with him being in a car crash on his way going to a content event for Golf TV. Then after that, we'll talk a little bit about the NBA All-Star selections. The rosters have been finalized at this point. We'll go over some of the surprises uh, we saw from some of the selections. We'll go over some of the subs who we thought may have gotten into the all-star game that didn't. And then after that, we'll go into some of the NFL news going into this off season. We'll go some over some of the news involving Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, all of that stuff we'll get to. But first things first, I want to go over the Tiger Woods situation that happened in California the other day. I think pretty much everybody knows about the situation that he was in on Tuesday. So he was in a car crash, suffered significant injuries to his legs. I actually have the specific injuries that he had. So he suffered a, a fracture in his right leg. A, if I get the name, right, it's a common comminuted fracture. That's a tough one for me to say. So what that means is that he suffered two or more fractures in the bones in his leg. And they're specifically related to the tibia and the fibula. And he also suffered a compound fracture as well. Compound fracture is pretty much just a bone break where the bone breaks through the skin. I'm pretty sure that everybody remembers what happened to Kevin Ware in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago. It's the same kind of situation regarding Tiger as well. And also he sustained a significant amount of damage to his ankle. I don't know if he necessarily broke his ankle, but there's a lot of ligament damage in his ankle. So at the time, he was currently driving to the Rolling Hills Country Club for the second day of a content shoot for Golf TV. In fact, the day before he was in that car crash, Dwayne Wade and him were actually out on the course, and then Dwayne Wade actually shared a video of him and Tiger out on the course just putzing around doing the shoot. And then the next day, uh, he was unfortunately in that car crash. I mean, Kev, let me just get your first reaction um, when you saw the news that Tiger was in that car crash on Tuesday? Well, if I'm being blunt, as I normally am on segments and throughout life, I immediately went to, or should I say, I reverted back to when Tiger had gotten into that whole situation with his wife, mm -hmm. um, the entire situation where his life, not only his career, but his life kind of took a downward spiral. Yeah. And I, I immediately said, man, I, I really hope to God he wasn't drinking. First and foremost, I was like, please be okay, because we all know what Tiger Woods means to the game of golf and to the sports world as a whole, it seemed like he was finally getting his life back together after that entire debacle a few years back with the whole divorce situation with his wife and the whole sex, you know, crazed women and whatnot. But um, I just immediately panicked and I was scared for the man. I said, I really hope he wasn't drinking on, under, under the influence or anything like that, because if, if he indeed was, there was no taking Nike back. There was no, 
convincing your endorsements not to leave a second time. I mean, I, like I said, Tiger had just seemed to kind of get in the groove of things and he may not have been winning a lot of tournaments, but I was like, he's just getting back to his life. And when I saw the image of the car kind of tilted over or flipped over on the side of the, on the side of the cliff, I said, man, I, I, I would, I would rather hear someone cut him off. I would rather hear he looked away from the wheel or, or, or something trivial like that. And then, you know, the reports came back today or yesterday that there was no alcohol found in the system and that Tiger was, uh, he deemed to be completely sober by the initial first report. So mm-hmm. I was thankful, but at the same time, again, still worried because Tiger Woods career is pretty much pending on this, on this injury right here, because we already know the injuries he sustained earlier in his career, just playing the game of golf between his back surgeries, his ACL t- tear, and now we're talking about his entire right leg being basically completely shattered from the fractures in his leg to the shattered ankle or torn ligaments in the ankle. That is going to be quite a hefty recovery and rehab for a man in his 40s uh, playing one of the most strenuous games toward the lower leg and the back, as Tiger Woods has already shown the recovery to play golf can be pretty difficult. So um, I hope everything's okay with Tiger. I hope he can come back. But I do know that a lot of analysts are saying, for the most part, they think that Tiger's playing career is pretty much under wraps, pretty much done. The verdict is still out with me. I, I, I don't want to say that it's over. I don't want to say that he can still come back. But, I mean, just looking at this from an objective standpoint, it, it, it is leaning towards that kind of Tiger might have to hang it up because this injury might be a little bit more difficult to come back from than the others. I mean, to be honest with you, just to be frank, he's just lucky to be alive after this accident just because I remember the authorities that were – responding to the scene they said that car rolled probably several hundred feet before it ended up finally resting in that kind of like that cliff area on the side of the road and i was going through some of the reports and i was listening to to the local authorities talk about this area and it's an area where if you don't know it that well specifically in the area that he crashed there is a a high likelihood of getting into a car accident and neighbors have have said that this area of road has seen some accidents throughout the time there. So, you know, when I was looking at the overall, the overall report that they had on it, um, they said he was traveling at a high rate of speed. I don't know how fast he was necessarily going because I saw a video. This was a traffic cam on the side of the road where it showed him and a van that was in front of him. It seemed like they were going at a, at a pretty normal rate of speed. They, he wasn't going like 70 or 80 miles an hour on this road. He looked like he was just going with the flow of traffic before he ended up getting in that car crash. And it said that he crossed the median and then went into oncoming traffic. And then I think that's when the car ended up flipping over. So, you know, I don't think that alcohol or drugs were at play here. The local authorities ruled that in their initial response when they saw him in the car he was he said they said that he was fully aware of what happened probably in shock the shock to the fact that he probably had multiple injuries and the fact that he just got in a car accident and he seemed to respond to everything that the the first responders were saying so i guess you can kind of rule that out but i mean they could do a blood test down the road to kind of confirm that um if i had to guess and i i don't really want to speculate on things like this um if i had to guess he might have been on his phone, may have not been paying attention and may have just crossed the median. And unfortunately, that's when the car flipped over. But obviously, we'll find out more in the next couple of days for him. I don't want to, you know, go too into depth about that. 
But really, at this point, though, he's just lucky to be alive. And really, for me, golf is out of the picture for him in the meantime until he can actually recover from this injury. And as far as I'm concerned, the only thing I want him at this point to do is to just rehab to the point where he could just return to an unhindered routine in his daily life. I think really that's the most important thing. I think that's the most important thing that his family wants for the near future. And we'll see what happens with his playing career. I think a lot of people across the board in the media were essentially saying that this was the end for Tiger's playing career. I'm not going to jump to that extent yet. I'm not going to say that right now. I think it's way too early to say that. And I want to hear it from him first. I want to hear from Tiger. Of course, of course. Say, his word okay, means the most. Only if, he knows his If body. Tiger says that he's done, then I will believe it. But I'm not really too worried about right. I'm not too worried about that right now. The main thing is just recovering from the surgeries that he's going to have. But he's probably going to have a few more surgeries before he's out of the hospital. Absolutely. And Absolutely. You know, he can start the rehab process. So, like I said, at this point, just getting back healthy is the most important thing at this point. Golf can wait. And that's what the PJ commissioner, that's what the PJ commissioner today said that ty- that golf is not even a focus for him right now. And as it shouldn't be, it should just be focused on just trying to re- recover from this, this horrible accident as best as he can. It's like a lot of times when things like this happen, not only in life, but with athletes, especially like with the Cam Newton accident a couple of years back. The the media right away says, will this affect the season? Will this affect his career? Can we talk about Tiger Woods and Cam Newton as the individuals, as the people? Like, are they okay mentally? Are they physically okay to pick up their kids? Are they okay to walk down the block or in their house? Like, sports are such a luxury in life. Like, obviously, some sports more than others can be a little bit more dangerous and physically grueling, like football compared to golf. But... I think people need to really get over the fact of I'm just trying to write a story. I'm just trying to get a, a scoop. Tiger Woods is the human being got in an accident, not Tiger Woods, the golf player. So I think that a lot of times we get lost in this narrative of an athlete got into an accident rather than, excuse me, an actual individual got hurt. So it, it is frustrating to see the speculation of his career. What does this mean to the game of golf? What does this mean to Tiger's kids? What does this mean to Tiger's significant other or his mother or his siblings? You know, you know what I'm saying? You know where I'm getting at? Yeah. It's it's frustrating that the media solely focuses on the sport. It's such a not even a spectrum of a, of of meaning behind Tiger actually living a full and effective life as a, as as a human. Well, it, it's tough because we've all watched Tiger. And granted, I'm not the biggest golf fan you'll ever meet. I know a lot more people that are much more involved in the game of golf than I will ever be. But I know for me personally, Tiger was a major influence. In when I was younger, when I was just getting into sports, it got to a point where Tiger was so dominant in this in the game of golf that he was probably the greatest individual athlete that I've ever seen. And it's the memories associated with those of him just going on this spectacular run where he goes and wins 14 majors in basically a 10 year stretch. Just an unbelievable stretch of golf that we'll probably never be able to witness again just because the amount of success that he had will probably never be replicated in the time that he did it in. And I think a lot of people, including me, we got so much enjoyment out of that throughout the years. And 
we do tend to forget that, you know, that these guys are just everyday people too, to a certain extent, obviously they're there because of their skills athletically as a golfer for tiger's sake. But obviously we get a lot of enjoyment and a lot of entertainment value from what they're able to provide on the course for tiger or on the field with other players in different sports. So I think really what like you have seen a lot more probably within the last couple of years or so, you've definitely seen more Tiger the person than the golfer. And I think that he has made a significant effort to be looked at more likable after the situation that he had in 2008 or 2009, where his whole personal life just fell apart. And Tiger has definitely, I think, warmed up to being more personable in the last probably five to 10 years after that whole situation with his ex-wife. But at the same time, you know, we still want to see the golfer Tiger Woods perform at a high level. And like when we saw him win the 2019 masters, I, I mean, I have the picture. I have the poster of him winning that, that masters in my room. Huge. It's it was the, huge. It's the only golf memorabilia that I have in my room is because he is single-handedly the reason why not only I got into golf, but millions of people were attracted to golf. We used to watch golf every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays around dinner time, And we'd always watch tiger. It's just that he was the main draw at that time. And it's just now I think it's actually, it's, I know an accident will kind of bring this, but it's actually good to actually see people really support the person Tiger Woods in this situation than the actual golfer. The life of Tiger Woods matters more than the golfer right now. And that's where I think most of the attention is being paid to at this point in time. I don't think golf is really concerned of his, or I don't even think golf is really concerned for any of these people that are really thinking about Tiger at this current moment in time. That's just the way that I see it. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was just something I saw on Twitter or, you know, somebody making a slick comment about Tiger that kind of like triggered that today. And I was just like, can we focus on Tiger as a, as, a, as, a, as a person? But nevertheless, I mean, let's move on. Obviously, this this topic can kind of go on back and forth for quite some time. Um, the NBA All-Star teams have recently revealed their starters and reserves um kyle i want to get your thoughts first and foremost on the five starters on each respective side uh what are your thoughts rightfully deserved do you feel that somebody should have started over another person or uh, what's going on here i mean i have both of the i have both of the eastern conference and the western conference reserves pulled up and i mean i'll tell you this i mean just looking at the oh, no, starters, I said starters. I said I mean, just excuse, starters excuse me the starters i meant to say starters i mean just looking at the eastern conference you've got kevin durant Giannis antonacupo bradley beal joel Embiid, and kyrie irving I mean, it's a hell of a starting five. And I, 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 for one, don't really have any issues with this starting five. And then just looking at the Western Conference starters, you got LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a solid starting five for both conferences. I, the only one where I can maybe look a different way is maybe Kyrie Irving, just because he hasn't played that much this year. He has had his he has had some availability issues through his own personal issues and maybe some of the injuries that he had at the earlier part of the season. But I mean, at this point, I, you can maybe put James Harden 
at that that five instead of Kyrie Irving. But I mean, you can kind of go back and forth between the eight, between both of them at this point. You can make a case for either or. But outside of that, I think the starting five um, for both the Eastern and Western Conference, I think it's fine. I don't really have any main issue. I don't have any issues outside. Maybe I'd put James Harden in the starting five compared to Kyrie. That's my only thing. So, I mean, starter-wise for me, um, I think Bradley Beal. Shout out to Bradley Beal because he's been balling out of his mind prior to Washington going on this little win streak that they're on, or should I say we're on. And I believe it ended last night. Um, Bradley Beal has been playing absolutely out of his flipping mind. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he dropped 50 earlier this year, and he dropped like 48 another time separately. Like, he's just been like single-handedly carrying the Washington Wizards to somewhat relevance. I mean, he's the NBA's league-leading scorer with 32.7 points per game, damn near five assists with 4.9 and 5.3 rebounds. So, I mean, he's averaging basically 33-5-5. and Absolutely insane because of the lack of talent on that team and Russell Westbrook taking a decent amount of shots away from him as well. Mm -hmm. But I agree completely other than that in terms of uh, the accuracy of the starters. The only one in question I do agree with you is the Kyrie Irving. Again, in my opinion, I would probably have Zach Levine, what he's doing out there in Chicago, uh, his clutch shots throughout the season. Like you said, Kyrie, kind of his availability has been in question a little bit, but Zach Levine has been playing at an all-star caliber level for relatively, I would say, about the last two to three years, and he's been snubbed for quite some time. There was a point where Zach Levine was right behind Bradley Beal with just under 30 points a game. Uh, he's kind of dwindled down. I think I, they have him here at 28.6, mm-hmm. but – I, I, I don't know. To me, it doesn't really matter position-wise because it's like the all-star game of the old where it's uh, these five start and then it ends up being, you know, uh, East versus West. They're, they're doing the draft concept of it now. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it, to me, it's completely irrelevant, but you don't necessarily need to have a true point guard in uh, to start because obviously we know that Giannis isn't a traditional four. We know that Joel Embiid isn't a traditional big uh, we we know that Kyrie Irving isn't necessarily a uh, a traditional point guard. So to have Zach Levine in that lineup, I think that would have made this a little bit more exciting. I'm not saying that Kyrie's handles aren't fun to watch. I'm not saying that he isn't an electrifying player in the league to watch. But I do think that it it maybe it was due for another superstar to come out. And Zach Levine's been showing out all season. I I, I to me, I think he deserved the start. Yeah, I think the only thing that probably detracts from Zach Levine a little bit is the fact that the Bulls' record is what it is. And yeah. then we, we, when you look at the Nets, the Nets are the second best team in the Asian Conference. They're probably going to overtake the, the 76ers either before the All Star break or probably after it, just because I'm going to fully expect that Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving are all going to be playing on, we're going to be on the court at the same time on a consistent basis in the second half of the season. But to focus on some of the other players that I, I want to give some shine to, um, one of the surprises, and it's not really a surprise because he's been absolutely sensational so far this year is Julius Randle. I'm more surprised at the fact that a New York Nick is actually in the all-star game outside of somebody not named Carmelo Anthony when he was on the Knicks in the beginning part of the 2010s. He's been absolutely sensational. He's averaging 23 points a game, averaging 11 rebounds a game. And not only that, like they, they have the seventh best record in the Eastern conference right now. So listen, they're not like a title contending team, because of Julius Randle, but Julius Randle is providing them solid minutes. He's been consistent. He's been great the entire season. And you do have to give a lot of credit to Tom Thibodeau as well for getting that team to where they are. They're not, a, cha- they're not a championship contending team, but look, they're competitive 
and they could be a playoff team come towards the end of the season. And it's a lot better than where they've always typically been, which is basically at the bottom of the league, not just in the Eastern conference, but at the bottom of the league. And then probably the other like surprise that I may have here is Chris Paul. I think he simply just got in because of legacy. He's having a solid year with Phoenix, but I've always been of the mindset that Devin Booker has had a more standout year so far than Chris Paul this year. I will say this to kind of defend Chris Paul. He does have a higher PER rating than Devin Booker this year. He also has a higher plus minus than Devin Booker this year. So you do kind of have to factor that in a little bit, but I am kind of glad that, um, that Devin Booker is going to get in probably because Anthony Davis is not going to be available for the all-star game as he recovers from his Achilles calf injury, whatever you want to call it at this point. So I am kind of, happy that Devin Booker is going to get in when he was originally snubbed of getting into the all-star game before um, while they were making these um, suggestions for while they were making these selections for the all-star game. Yeah. Um, since we're transitioning into the, uh, the reserves, just to give everybody a little bit of a heads up in case they haven't seen it, which I would hope they have by now on the Eastern conference side, we have Jalen Brown, first-time All-Star. James Harden, Zach Levine, first-time All-Star. Julius Randle, first-time All-Star. Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Nikola Vucevic. On the Western Conference, we have Anthony Davis, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Zion Williamson, first-time All-Star, and then Devin Booker coming in to replace Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to look at somebody I would pull out, or somebody that I don't necessarily understand how they're in. Uh, Paul George is a name that kind of screams out to me saying, yeah, he's averaging almost 25, five and six, but it's like, have you really done something to kind of stand out and to be an all-star? You know, are you doing something consistently enough? To me, I don't think he is. I think that DeMar DeRozan could have very well been in that conversation. Uh, on the Eastern Conference side, I don't know why Ben Simmons is there, averaging 15, 8, and 8. Uh, I, just, I don't understand why Demonis Sabonis isn't in there. You know, um, I was criticizing right before the episode uh, Nikola Vucevic, uh, why he was in there. I didn't know the man's numbers were as high as they were. Just looking at his stats this season, he's averaging 24, 11, and 3 on 48% shooting from the field and 39.9% from the three-point line, which is basically 40% for a center. Balling. That's absolutely ridiculous, shooting 83.5% from the damn free throw line. As a five, huge. So yeah. I take back everything I said prior. But, I mean, just to get back on the Sabonis train – um, this man is, it, you know, was an all-star last season, 6'11", playing the four position for the Pacers. Obviously, they are underperforming with the injuries to TJ Warren and Chris LeVert and the trade hasn't necessarily even stepped on the court fully for them. Um, Zabonis is averaging 21.5 points, 11.6 rebounds, uh, just a few points shy of six assists. He's averaging 5.7. He's shooting 52% from the field, almost 53 and he's shooting almost 36% from the three-point line with a 71 free throw percentage. So he's somebody that I really thought would kind of jump out more than a Ben Simmons. He's mm-hmm. someone that uh, has really been trying to carry the Pacers into some kind of relevance without those two stars that are missing. So, I mean, you know, just looking at these rosters, like I said, there are some questionable people on this team. Uh, we talked about it earlier. I don't know why Rudy Gobert's on the list, but again, there aren't a lot of Western conference centers that I would necessarily put over him. Uh, like you said, not a legacy pick, 
but just a just a consistency pick or just a filler pick to me. So I'm excited to watch the game, but there are some players, as every year, there are players that you kind of just like look at them like, mm, really? Yeah, I think like some of the players that I have here is like some snubs, and I don't think it's because of their play. I just think it has something to do with the team's record. I'll give you a couple of examples. So a couple of the snubs that I had here um, obviously was DeMar DeRozan. Um, clearly the leader of the team. He's averaging about 20 points a game. It's been solid for the for the Spurs this year. And to be quite honest with you, the Spurs are kind of low-key flying in as the fifth seed in the Western Conference right now. So they're only a few games back of the Suns, and the Suns are basically nipping at the Lakers' heels for that third spot in the Western Conference right now. So I would have liked to see maybe DeMar DeRozan get a little bit more attention for the All-Star game, but I think I think it may have something to do with the fact that the Spurs are probably – they're, they're the fifth seed right now, but they're not really like what I would consider like a championship contending team. Like if DeMar DeRozan was averaging about 25 points a game, I think that he would definitely get some higher looks. Other than that, I've got Mike Conley Jr. as another snub here as well. I think people will kind of always not disrespect him, um, but he's one of the best two-way players in the game. He's averaging about 16 points a game this year so far. He's been a major piece for Utah being in the position that they are as the number one team, not only in the Western conference, but in the wet, but in the entire league as well. So maybe I would have liked to see him get a little bit more shine for the effort that he's put out on the court this year. De'Aaron Fox has been absolutely sensational this year. It's just that he's on the Kings. The Kings, on the, have, Kings. the Kings have the fourth worst record in the Western conference, but look, De'Aaron Fox is averaging 24 points a game. He's averaging nine assists as well. He's had some amazing plays this year. He had one amazing dunk that he had probably like a month ago. It was one of the most powerful dunks I've ever seen. <laughs> Put the brakes on it. This segment needs to be said. This is why I'm on the show. Anthony Edwards, if you somehow hear this, you, you, you my friend, you need – RIP to the man you dunk. I don't even know his name. I ain't never even seen him before. Anthony Edwards, dunk of the year. He literally put that man in a body bag. Like, Anthony, you know, he, he might have a family. He might have kids. Like, how was he supposed to look at his kids in the morning and say, hey, how you doing, son? Like, I would look at my dad, honestly, and be like, aren't you the guy that got dunked on? Like, I don't know how. I, I wouldn't be able to look at him. I'm just saying, Anthony Edwards, you mentioned dunk. I, I had to say it. That man <laughs> absolutely destroyed him. and. And got the, and got I, the it had one. to be said. And it got the and one. It had was, to be said. It was had an impressive said. dunk. And the only other person that I have here as, as a snub, and I think it really has to do with the team's record, not because of their individual play, is Bam Adebayo. He's having a solid year. He's averaging 19 points a game, nine rebounds a game, and also five assists to go along with it too. And as a as a stretch forward, or the five on the team, like that's pretty solid. But the Heat are 14 and 17. Injuries have really really plagued the heat this year so far they have kind of made a turn to look like a semi-decent team in the eastern conference i still expect the heat to be a playoff team this year and bam is going to be a big reason why that they'll, they'll get to the uh playoffs later this year the heat the heat will find a way to bounce back jimmy's getting in a groove bam will be fine once tyler hero gets back in his groove as well and yeah. the injuries start to kind of recover along with everything else they'll be fine I did, however, look up the person that dunk, that got dunked on, Utah Watanabe. Utah Watanabe. 
I mean, I don't that know. That says enough, right? That, that says enough right there. But I mean, I, I hear you a wannabe out of that. So I'm just, I'm just saying it just. I mean, Coach, look, he, you better put him on the do not play list for a little bit because my look, man got to recover. Look, he, he, I, I'll say this, like at that point, if you see that guy running straight at you, knowing that he's going to basically posterize you, you got to move out of the way as a business decision to step out of the way, let him have his dunk, let, let the Timberwolves go wild. The fact that he just dunked it that well and call it a day. But the fact that he, Bro, he tried just to dunk on him, but, 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 but the, him. In the but, name of Jesus, but the fact he that he, sleep. but the fact that he made the defensive effort, which his coach is probably going to be like, okay, you made a defensive effort, but you got absolutely no. body. No, no, you gave absolutely him the foul. No, you're body. You gave him the foul. You gave the foul. So, no. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I, there's I, always, there's always going to be probably one to maybe two to three of those dunks per year. Anthony that you wonder why the defender jumped yes yeah. absolutely but we're, we're, we're on the topic of the Timberwolves and since I don't know I just I, don't, I just figured I'd look up the NBA standings for the year the second half of the season schedule just kind of popped up this season uh later earlier today so uh, excuse me holy crap carbonation and beer together just are a great combination <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the standings and I feel for Minnesota because they traded for D'Angelo Russell Carl Anthony Towns had COVID. And then obviously you have Anthony Edwards kind of electrifying the, the league with that dunk and then his, his, his good play and his personality post-game interviews. Still and you look at their game, record. Uh, I know. I, you just look at their record and it's like 7-25. and 25. It, I, I'm, if I, it is the worst in the NBA. And it, it's kind of upsetting because you figured that when you saw on paper that D'Angelo Russell, the way he was playing at Golden State last year, Carl Anthony Towns, the way he was playing last year, combined together – with the number one overall pick and Anthony Edwards would have made some kind of noise in the league. I think I saw a stat. I think that Anthony, uh, excuse me. I think that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell have only played a total of five yeah, games together. I saw, I saw that one. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And they're actually pretty good friends off the court. So it's just like, you know, that these two want to play together. You know, that they want to revitalize the city of Minnesota to become relevant again. They just fired their coach the other day. So, I mean, it seems that they're in kind of a turmoil standpoint, pretty much with the worst record in the league and having two stars taking the biggest hits on your cap space, pretty much not being available the entirety of the season. Um, You you just kind of feel for it. But, I mean, just to flip back to the topic, I just wanted to get that out there. I mean, just to start from the top, you got the Utah Jazz, the number one seed. You have the L.A. Clippers at the two seed, the Lakers at the three, the Suns at the four, San Antonio at the five, Portland at the six, Denver at the seven, Golden State at the eight, Dallas making a resurgent comeback this season uh, just right underneath Golden State by a game. And then you have Memphis at the nine or 10, New Orleans at the 13. Uh, Can I count today? At the 11, New Orleans, uh, Sacramento at the 12, Oklahoma City 13, Houston at the 14, and then Minnesota at the 15. So we're just going to go by the Western Conference. Kyle, what team's got to turn it around? What do you think? Um, can happen in the West and who do you believe can actually uh, make a standing point and, and make a forcing drive into the postseason? There are a couple teams. Um, I want to see um, if the Clippers can make a push to get to this number one seed in the Western conference, because right now 
the Lakers are kind of faltering right now because of Anthony Davis not being there because of his calf and Achilles injury. So I mentioned this a couple of days ago that the Lakers, like as far as their short-term goals are probably going to be hindered because Anthony Davis isn't going to be on the roster probably for the next two to three weeks. So that does give other teams a chance to overtake the Lakers in this, in these next couple of weeks. One team that I could really see pulling ahead of them is like I said, the Clippers, well, the Clippers are the two seed. I want to see the Clippers make that jump into the number one seed. They definitely have the talent to get there. It's whether or not they will, but I could definitely see them maybe taking that number one seed. If Utah falters a little bit going into the second half of the season, I want to see what the Suns can do. The Suns right now, they're in that fourth seed. Like I said, the Lakers are faltering. Could they make a run where they pull off maybe like a five or six game winning stretch and maybe see these other teams that are ahead of them take some steps back? Could they work themselves to possibly get to that top three, maybe top two in the Western Conference? They have the players to do that. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton have been playing absolutely sensational this year. I don't want to forget somebody like Mikal Bridges. He's been playing sensational as well. So Cam Johnson too? Yeah, so those guys have been playing pretty good so far, even with the addition of Chris Paul integrating into the lineup and getting the chemistry right. So those are some teams that I could really see uh, taking a step forward in the Western Conference, I could see what the Spurs like. I want to see what the Spurs can do. Um, I think they're probably going to hover, kind of like in that mid playoff spot in the Western Conference, somewhere between like maybe like a four at the high at the best, to maybe like a six or a seven at the worst. They still have to they have to play the way they still have to play at a decent clip that they're playing at right now. I want to see Demar Derozan can maybe even take a bigger step forward with the Spurs this year, maybe get close to averaging somewhere around like 22, 23 points by the end of the year. I mean, other than that, I want to see if Houston can make a turnaround. I don't th- Houston's like at the bottom of the Western conference right now. They have really disappointed. I, I believe if I remember their record, right, they're sitting at 11 and 17. So 11 and 18. Yeah. Is all the people playing? They're like, they're on an eight game skid. They're one and nine in their last 10. Yeah. Like what's, I haven't seen yeah. anything going on in Houston. What the hell yeah, is going they, on they, other they, than them cutting the markets? Yeah. So I, it's a fluid situation in Houston. I mentioned earlier in the season, actually before the season even started that I had Houston as like an outside shot team to make the playoffs this year, but that was really indicative on James Harden staying there. Obviously with him not there, at best, they were going to be an eight seed. I don't even think they're going to be close to that this year. It's just, I don't think it's working out with them. Christian Wood's been in and out of the lineup as well. So I I think really when you look at this team, when you looked at it on paper, it looked solid. It's just that injuries have always played a factor with these players like John Wall, Victor Oladipo, and now Christian Wood as well. And even DeMarcus Cousins as well. So they they have definitely played a factor into where Houston's at at this point. Could they even fall even further behind? I wouldn't be surprised by it. Um, outside of that, the Lakers are probably going to stick a, a step back until Anthony Davis comes back. I don't think that LeBron can carry this team the way that he used to, like he did in Cleveland a few years back when Cleveland had essentially nobody outside of him and maybe Kevin Love on the roster. I just don't think that he's going to be able to carry the team to maintain the spot that they have right now until Anthony Davis gets back. So they, I could see the Lakers obviously, honestly falling back to maybe the four and at worst, maybe the five spot before AD gets back. So do you think that LA makes a push to get boogie 
on this roster. No. Boogie back, should I no. say. No. No. It, it says that there were some reports, Legion Hoops and, you know, some other notable NBA reporters saying that, you know, the Lakers are interested because we don't know how long the Anthony Avis, Anthony Avis, Anthony Davis injury could last. I mean, look what happened. There's a lot of these athletes that have had calf injuries that ended up turning into Achilles ruptures. Obviously, first and foremost, Kevin Durant, a few just just two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think that LA needs to be a lot more cautious than they're leading on to because they tried to bring him back a little sooner than expected, and it ended up to uh, you know re-aggravating that injury. So uh, I I don't know, man. I think the Lakers really should pay attention at least sign him to a minimum since Houston paid out the rest of his contract this season, or, or maybe even less, maybe a 10-day contract just to start him off and see if you sign him for the rest of the year. It can't I, hurt you. I, you I need don't, depth down there. I, I, see, the thing is, I don't know if it's going to directly help them just because their five spot right now is really weak with Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol is not the same player that he used to be. Um, he's been struggling. And he was even struggling while AD was out on the court. So... This looks like a chemistry issue that the Lakers are going to have to deal with. It wouldn't surprise me if the Lakers make some sort of trade to possibly acquire another big man. I don't know if it's, I don't think DeMarcus Cousins is going to be the answer because honestly, can DeMarcus Cousins even jump? That's, that's a, that's, that's a problem. And you're going to need, you're going to need a good solid seven footer down there to protect the rim. And Marcus all is just not it right now. Anthony Davis, if he's out there fully hundred percent, different story. But they have really taken a step back at their five spot compared to last year when their five spot last year was their was the deepest position in the entire league last year. You had Anthony Davis playing Dwight like, Howard, JaVale Dwight McGee. Howard, and JaVale McGee. Like they were stacked at that position. And it was honestly kind of like a throwback to what basketball used to be played, like when you actually had solid big men at that five spot. So obviously this year they've gone a lot more smaller. Dennis Schroeder's been in and out of the lineup due to injuries. LeBron's still doing what he needs to do, but he's not capable of carrying the entire team on his back like he used to, like I said earlier, with Cleveland. He can give you serviceable minutes. He can still go out, go out there, get dropped 30, 35 points. He can still do that. But, you know, this team defensively has been hurting since AD has left, since Dennis Schroeder has left due to injuries. So, yeah, the Lakers could be in some trouble here for the short term. I still think that their long-term title aspirations for the season are still intact, but it's dependent on Anthony Davis's health. Exactly. So, I mean, like, just to give my opinion, I would personally like to see Denver make a, a, a big push. We all know that Nikola Jokic is playing absolutely bonkers this season, and yep. he's, he's damn near averaging a triple-double as a seven-footer, which is unheard of. I mean, probably the best big-man passer out there in the league. Shout-out to my boy Cole, who called that last season. Um, the man's court vision, the man's handle, his shot selection, and his availability to pretty much – or his uh, available skill to control the court and control the game at his own pace is is incredible. I mean, I just I, – I think that Denver can – I think Denver has the roster to make the push to make it a little bit more competitive down there at the bottom of the, of the West. Um, I'd like to see Golden State continue to excel the way that they have. Obviously, Steph coming back from injury last season with the broken hand and them shutting him down. Uh, Kelly Oubre's early struggles and, uh, you know, obviously the, the stellar play of James Wiseman, the number two overall pick this last season. But uh, I know that you did an episode earlier last week or earlier this week, should I say, uh, Draymond Green's mouth, man. Draymond Green's mouth cost him the Charlotte game. Yeah. We know that Draymond, Draymond Green's mouth can cost him a lot more than that. He's 
been suspended in the finals multiple times, or should I say ejected in the playoffs multiple times. He was suspended in the finals that one year. So, I mean, uh, Draymond's temper really, really, really has to be reined in recently because they do have such a young team and uh, the loss of a veteran presence on the court and in the locker room can seriously affect the mental of Golden State. Obviously, Steph is doing everything he can, averaging 30 this season, but he cannot continue to do it. He cannot continue to do it alone. And uh, I think Golden State really, really, really has the ability to push even without Clay Thompson. And as we were talking about prior to the season or prior to the episode, uh, if Clay's on this team, this team is a whole in a whole different world. Yeah. I mean, you talk about Steph averaging what he's doing. Clay's coming back, I would assume, with a vengeance. James Wiseman balling out. Kelly Oubre finding his own role within the starting lineup. And then obviously, you know, the, the, their role players coming off the bench, uh, doing what they need to do. Damian Lee and Kevon Looney and them boys out here doing what they need to do. So I, I, I would like to see Golden State. And of course, the bias is about to come out. You know, Dallas is doing what they need to do. Um, you know, we are seven and three in our last ten games, or six and one in our last seven. Luka Doncic hitting back-to-back daggers last night, absolute hooping, clutch shots. But uh, yeah, no, th- th- those are the three teams. I know that those are the three bottom teams. But we all know what Dame Lillard's doing this season out here, fucking just absolutely destroying the league by himself. Yeah. Melo's having another resurgent season. C.J. McCollum is unfortunately injured once again. But, you know, the, the role players of Nasir Little, former UNC uh, collegiate athlete, coming out and playing his, his heart out. The other day, I think he dropped 30 points. Yep. Um, we all know what San Antonio has to do out there with DeMar DeRozan. Like you said, Phoenix has a lot to prove and so on and so forth. My thing is, can Utah keep up this level of play throughout the year? I don't think so. I just – I don't know if they can really withstand – the resurgence of both LA teams and the Suns and the and, and the Spurs kind of fighting all their way through. I mean, obviously, Phoenix is literally three games behind the Clippers and two games behind the Lakers, which is absolutely mind-boggling considering the star-powered teams that those two players those, those two teams have. So to think that a 34, 35-year-old Chris Paul and a 26, 27-year-old Devin Booker are giving those teams a run for their money in terms of seeding is kind of crazy and to like you said uh, to your point the Lakers are kind of falling and they're falling at a pretty bad time because if they fall far back enough that recovery time to get back into the top three seed or to get back into that caliber of playing later in the season is going to be a little bit more difficult LeBron James and Anthony Davis are not it's going to take time for Anthony to get back on the court get in his groove it's going to take time for you know LeBron and him to get back on that floor chemistry so We'll see what happens, but I mean, uh, that's all I have for the West. Do you want to take over the East? Well, yeah, I mean, in the Eastern Conference, I mean, just looking at the uh, – the, can you do me a favor? Can you give the uh, the top eight seeds in the Eastern Conference if you have them pulled up? Yeah. Yeah, I got Philadelphia at one, Brooklyn at two, Milwaukee at three, Indiana at four, Toronto at five, surprising after we called them being a big disappointment. Yep. They found a way to resurge themselves back into it as well. Yep. Boston, they have been falling pretty decently lately. Boston is down to the sixth seed. New York, the surprising seed in itself being at the seven. And Chicago, another surprising team, fun, finding and clawing its way into the eighth seed. I think like just looking at the teams that you have there, I, w- I want to see if Boston can find some sort of resurgence back to get into maybe like the top four seeds just because – I don't know what it is with this Boston team. I, this this team has talent, but I, I I've said this before. 
I really think that this Boston team lacks grit. There's something about this team that where I don't know why. Okay, intensity. They don't have that fire. I I don't want to call them soft. That's I'm not gonna go that far. It's that's disrespectful for me to say that they're soft. They just don't have they don't have a dog on that team outside of maybe Marcus Smart. Outside of that, they have great players. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, both all stars. But to me, they lack a big man. They need a big man to own the paint. And they just haven't been able to find that. I think if, they, if they're able to find somebody, and look, they may look at somebody like DeMarcus Cousins to possibly add to the roster, to add some depth to that, that four-slash-five spot on the team. And DeMarcus Cousins, look, he's been – he's a dog. And maybe that's somebody that you need on the roster to maybe get those guys to another level. So, I mean, look, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and even Kemba. Look, those guys are going to do what they need to do. Kemba's playing like dog shit this year. Take it from a Kemba Walker fan. He's making $30 million to play like ass. I'm very disappointed with his play. I I expect him to bounce back in the second half of the season. So we'll obviously see what happens in the second half. Got the whole damn Bronx on his shoulders. He can't be letting us down like that. But I really do think that the Celtics – they really got to start making a push here because this team is way better than being in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference yeah. is outside of the top two teams in Philadelphia and Brooklyn is pretty much up for grabs after that. So the, the Eastern Conference Boston's is not as, three and seven in their last 10. They're playing yeah, they, bad. Yeah, they've been playing bad. And look, it, I don't think Brad Stevens is the issue here. And it just, no. it, Brad Stevens is one of the best coaches in the league. And he has gotten this team into – this team has a championship window for, for years it to does. come. This team is a lot better than the sixth seed right now. And, I look, they may need to make a move just to kind of shake some things up on the roster, just to give a different – someone may need to set a different tone on the team. And bringing in somebody like DeMarcus Cousins could actually bring that type of spark to the team. Now, with that said, do the Knicks find a way – to even go up higher in the Eastern Conference seating at this point. Right now, they're chilling at the seventh spot. They have really surprised me. Like I said, Julius Randle has been playing absolutely sensational. But it's going to be – I don't know if they're going to navigate that much farther. I wanted to possibly get to that maybe that six, maybe that five spot. And maybe asking a little bit too much just because the New York Knicks have – always found ways to disappoint not only New York fans, but the entire NBA as well. So I would like to see if this team does have maybe like a top five Eastern conference ceiling. If if that were to happen this year with the Knicks, it would be absolutely incredible to me. I had them nowhere close to even making the playoffs this year. And for them to potentially be maybe a five or a six seed in the Eastern conference this year, the first season that Tom Thibodeau arrives as the head coach, it would be outstanding as far as I'm concerned. And then just looking at the rest of the conference, I mean, I think the 76ers and the Nets are probably going to flip back and forth between the one and two spots for the rest probably. of the, for the rest of the second half of the season. Um, I want to see some continuity with the Nets, with Kyrie, uh, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. I want them all on the court at the same time, just because having those three guys out in the court is going to be absolutely, it's going to be a nightmare for de- defenses to defend to defend also 
Joe Harris, he's been absolutely balling these last. He's like years. leading in all statistical Yo, shot-making categories and from three. He's averaging what, like fifty-two percent from the three-point line. Like insane. He's going insane. off. So people and, need to stop disrespecting him, man. They're like, oh, they, I would have traded Joe Harris and James Harden trades. I would have traded Joe Harris. I, man, people need to shut up. <laughs> I mean, didn't he have a game where, like, where, he, where he got like 35 points? Kyrie had like 38. Bro, they were hooping. They were like, hooping. Like, bro, they're, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be a real problem going into the playoffs this year because they. So, they, uh, go ahead. I just, I, I can't understand just because in any sport, right? There are your stars, they're your superstars, and then they're your role players, right? And then there's those silent killers, those, those, those players that yep. are stat padding throughout the year that nobody gives them recognition. People yep. just kind of like keep them in the back burner because they're not a Tom Brady or a LeBron James. And it's absolutely frustrating because Joe Harris is that person for the Nets. And do, do you think Brooklyn's as successful if Harris isn't hitting those shots from James Harden? Do you think he is – do you think the Nets are as good as – Joe Harris not hitting the shots on his own wide open in the corner, off balance, coming off the screen, catch and shoot. No, they're not. They're not. Because he's making timely and important shots throughout the integrity of the game and throughout the season. And people just continue to disrespect him. He's not getting enough coverage. He's not getting enough recognition. And he sure as shit isn't enough getting enough praise because it's the three-headed monster of KD, Kyrie, and fucking James Harden. And KD hasn't even played in the last week or so. And we're still not talking about Joe Harris. It's absolutely blasphemous to me. And I just think that he needs to get more recognition. Shout out to you, Joe Harris. He almost kind of reminds me of the role that Ray Allen had with the Heat. But Joe Harris is Joe Harris is a starter, right? He's in the starting five, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know Ray Allen was like he was a role player with with Miami, Miami. When, when when LeBron and D Wade were going through their championship run. It just reminds me of somebody that you – Joe Harris is a guy that you could trust to knock down those three-point shots with relative ease. Very similar to what Ray Allen did with the Miami Heat when he was there for a couple of years. So he just – there's kind of a – kind of reminds me of that role a little bit with Joe Harris on the Nets this year. But, look, you know, they're proving the experiment to be okay so far of literally scoring 120 points plus a game with no defense. Now – the biggest question with them is, can that continue into the playoffs? That is going to be the main question with them. I don't worry about the Nets during the regular season. But when the playoffs comes around and the way that defenses scheme against the Nets, they're definitely going to slow the, the pace of the game down in the playoffs. And we'll see whether or not that the uh, the Nets can be able to at least play somewhat okay defense, just enough to get them by. It's that's the one thing that I'm really going to focus on. I do think that the Nets are going to be able to score, but will their defense finally break when it gets to the playoffs? I don't worry about it during the regular season. This is no. going to be, I mean, look, the only way that they're going to be able to get this system to work is if these guys like K- KD, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and then Joe Harris chips in for 15, 20 points here and there. They got to score like 130, 135 plus a game. It's the only way that they're going to win an NBA title this way. They're not going to get it because of defense. This team is just not. No. It's an offensive juggernaut, and that's solely what it is. But to get back in topic or on topic of the Eastern Conference, my biggest teams that I want to see kind of make a surge. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball here. 
the, the play of LaMelo Ball has really kind of threw a monkey wrench in my mind because I did not expect the team to be as good as they are. I mean, they're 14 and 16, which isn't good overall. But in the Eastern Conference, they are tied with the Chicago Bulls for the eighth seed. So, I mean, can the rookie carry them into the postseason, potentially into maybe even just a postseason win back into relevance to bring MJ's, you know, MJ's team back onto to, to some form of the map. Maybe it can give them a glimmer of the future of this kid is for real, the real deal. Can him, Miles Bridges, and, you know, Gordon Hayward do what they need to do? Who knows? Gordon uh, Hayward's had a solid year this year. That's what I'm saying. Big it's, resurgence. A, a lot of players. A lot of players that we kind of shitted on and teams that we were kind of in question out are, are, are actually pretty much hooping right now. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, but just about a month ago, we were – talking about them being the biggest shock. Um, once again, off. they have done a 180. They are 1-9 in the last game. They are 11-21 and 21 in the yep. league. They're going right back to Cleveland form. That yep. may be into contribution of Cleveland Cavaliers announcing they are not going to be playing Andre Drummond until he gets traded. Yep. Um, I know that that makes a very big difference because the man in the middle, the, the big guy in the paint, the presence, he may not make a difference in the win column, but he makes a difference in the team's morale. So that could be a uh, you know, deciding factor. But another team that I want to see make a push, it, it, it's going to be the Indiana Pacers, man. I, I think that they have a really good team with Brogdon and Sabonis. And when Levert gets back and when TJ Warren gets back, this team can really make some noise in the East. I would not be surprised if they stay within the four or the five seed, if they were to make an upset later in the postseason. I know that last year they were exited pretty quickly by the Miami Heat, but uh I don't know, man. I, I I got a weird feeling that Indiana is out to show people that they're still relevant, and I think that they're going to go out there and do what they need to do. Um, also with the Knicks, just to touch on them really quick, I've been getting a lot of uh, backlash, as you are well aware, because of the Porzingis trade over the last couple of years since that's happened. Um, I know that Kristaps Porzingis has not been playing lately, and I know that there was a rumor that has come out with the Golden State Warriors that there was a trade. Well, for those of you that are unaware uh, the rumor came out just about a day or two ago where supposedly the Mavs reached out to the Warriors to see if they wanted to trade for Porzingis, but the trade market was very low, so to speak, quote-unquote. Mark and Rick Carlisle denied it. Um, the team kind of dismissed it. I don't believe that the rumor is true. But to the Knicks fans, um, let's focus on your season. Honestly, you guys are doing really great. I'm trying to keep my bias out of it and my mindset. You know, you guys always wanted to, to, to have the worst out of Porzingis. So, you know, I get tweets and texts pretty much weekly uh, every time we lose a game or every time Porzingis has a bad stat line. I'm happy that the city of New York had fans last night. I'm happy that the city of New York is resurging with Julius Randle being an all-star, R.J. Barrett being the stud that he is. And, you know, the city just kind of getting back to where it should be. They are seventh in the West. I would like them to be a East. little bit more consistent. Or, excuse me, in the East, I do see that they are playing a lot better as of late but they're going to need a lot of their role players to step up. I know the acquisition of Derrick Rose to be the veteran in the locker room was supposed to be a big move. So I do hope that he kind of steps up a little bit more. He's only averaging about 10 and a half points a game this season off the bench. Um, I do see that Topin, Obi Topin, whatever the hell his name is, he's only averaging like four points a game. I know that he was hurt. So, you know, the, the, the Knicks bench needs to kind of step up. I know that a lot of people have been taking shits on Alfred Payton but he is averaging 13 points and he is playing pretty stellar defense. He may not be able to shoot the ball, but he is playing his role very efficiently. So uh, again, to the, to, to all my Nick fans, Jeff, uh, Mel, um, oh my God, Angelo, all, all, all the Knicks fans on my timeline, all, all my boys, all, all my friends, you know, like I really, really, really hope that the Knicks actually make a run into this postseason. you know, at least make some noise, get a game or two. 
But uh, other than that, uh, I don't I don't really see any other teams. You already brought up Boston. Hey, there's one team. I, there's one team I want to bring up, and that's Miami. I, 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 Miami's obviously coming back, but the team that I I need to I need a fire lit under them is Milwaukee. You do not pay Giannis Antetokounmpo. You do not go out there and get Drew Holiday. You don't pay Chris Middleton to be 19 and 13. A two-time league MVP should not be third in this conference. Absolutely not. He should be fighting with Philly and Brooklyn. There should be absolutely no way that they are playing as bad as they are. They're on a three-game win streak right now. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. But they, they went on a little bit of a skid. And I am not impressed whatsoever. And I think Giannis, he might be reconsidering him signing that extension this this uh, this past offseason. Well, it's too late now. Signed that. So trade me, trade. I mean, we were talking about that with Bradley Beal just a couple of weeks ago, and Bradley yeah, Beal actually Bradley. had a good Bradley Beal actually had a good excuse because Homeboy was dropping thirty five points a game, and the team was still losing by like 15, 20 points. So, you know, with, with Giannis, look. This the Bucks have always been kind of considered a great regular season team, but they've sucked in the playoffs because they know because defenses know how to key in on Giannis in the playoffs. Basically, when he drives into the lane, just fill the lane with two big men, and Giannis is going to either have to kick it out, or you know they could they could um, let that man they could get a charge they could get a they can get a charge on Giannis if he decides to get into the lane. Giannis can't shoot anymore. Look. I remember when Giannis first came into the league, he could actually shoot decent three-pointers and actually hit somewhat of a decent mid-range game. But then he decided to put on 50 to 60 pounds of muscle and he can't shoot anymore. So he's basically beholden to dominating down low and making the most of what he can down there since he can't really hit an outside shot to save his life anymore. Hell, he can't even really shoot free throws, uh, free throws, uh, free throws that well anymore. I can't even speak right. Um, at this point, I could see Milwaukee maybe getting at best the two spot, but that would mean the Nets or the 76ers would really have to fall off in the second half of the season. And the way that I see it right now, I just don't really see that being the case. Joel Embiid with, the 76ers has been a MVP candidate this year. He's probably the leading MVP candidate right now just because he's been My God, hooping. Nuts. Absolutely nuts. The 76ers as a team have really surprised me. I had them as maybe like a both of us. And they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference right now. They have been absolutely spectacular. That move to acquire Doc Rivers as the head coach has been the most it's honestly the biggest acquisition that any team made this offseason because this team has completely made a 180 from where they were last season. Because a lot of team, a lot of people going into the season were thinking of should they break up the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid duo because you weren't getting a decent return on the investment that you had from these guys, and they have just been sensational this year. Outside of maybe Utah being the surprise team in the league the 76ers have really just stepped up their a game this year. So if the bucks are going to make some sort of a move into that top two team, potentially in the Eastern conference, one of these teams in the nets or the 76ers are going to have to take a step back, but I just don't see that right now. Just the way that we talked about the next, uh, we, the way that we talked about the nets, the way that they're playing right now, and the way the 76ers are playing right now. I just don't see that. No, no, not, not, not even close. I mean, we talked about the, the, the Sixers being uh, a big disappointment, you know, their, their offseason acquisitions, ex- excluding Doc Rivers, obviously, just talking about player personnel in particular, just, just wasn't impressive. 
it uh, it didn't seem like there was anything to be really uh, shocking or exciting about them. And obviously they have proved the both of us very, very wrong. And they're going out there and they're playing great basketball, man. So, I mean, um, shout out to Isabel's cousin, Dom. You know, he's just starting to get into basketball at a really good time. Obviously the Sixers are top seed, top seed in the East. So, I mean, uh, I really hope that they continue to do well for his sake. Obviously, I don't really care about the Sixers other than, you know, Isabel's family. But, you know, for the most part, they are a big surprise to me. But um, that's all I got for basketball, really. I mean, obviously, it's a little too early to make MVP predictions. We can do a half-season MVP, I don't know, thought next time. Yeah, because I mentioned it on the end of the last episode that I did. Um, Let's do a... Um, like an MVP, rookie of the year, coach of the year, kind of like half season report. Like when yeah. we get closer yeah. to the All Star game, that'll probably be a, a, a better time to to do that. Just because, I mean, to be honest yeah. with you, we could really talk about basketball for another hour and a half if we really want. Exactly. To but I know that things. we have other segments to talk about. Let me turn this light off in the living room real quick because I just realized I pay for electricity now. But with that said, we'll transition into some of the NFL news that has been going on the last couple of days. There has been some movement across the entire league, but we'll focus on Kevin's team, which is the Indianapolis Colts. I mentioned it in one of the, one of the past episodes this week that Carson Wentz is now the official quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. They have finally figured out their quarterback situation going into the next season. Kevin, I know you definitely wanted to talk about this trade um, last week, but you weren't able to, because you were moving into your apartment. Um, you as a Colts fan, what do you think of this trade for the Colts? Is it going to be a good one in the long term, or do you think it's going to be one that the, the Colts are going to regret? Um, normally, I'm a very negative individual when it comes to athletes, just because I always look at the bad side. Um, I have to be positive here because there are a lot of looming negatives behind Carson Wentz, not only by from playing, uh, but from physical standpoint what I'm looking at here from Carson Wentz, right? Obviously to all Colts fans, to the For the Culture podcast, you know, great content, you guys. Can't wait to work with you sometime in the future. Um, Excuse me. I'm excited for Carson's play. We bring a veteran into the locker room. We bring a guy that knows how to win. We reunite him with the coach that was giving him an MVP caliber caliber season in 2017. We have a, a quarterback that has a good arm. We have a quarterback that is decently mobile on his feet. Um, and we have one of the best offensive lines and run games in football to make his job that much easier. We have a top 10 defense to get him the ball back. So he has more opportunities to put points on the board. Uh, so I would say I'm leaning towards more of an excitement standpoint, because obviously we haven't had a consistent potential quarterback since Andrew Luck. We obviously rotated between Jacoby Brissett, Andrew Luck, Philip Rivers within the last three seasons alone. So there has been a new coach pretty much every year of Frank Reich's tenure. So, um, Carson being the fourth, but Carson being a former player of his, I'm really hoping that the team can kind of come together and rally around him. Um, obviously, when the trade happened, a lot of Colts players reached out to him. I know Kenny Moore FaceTimed him. I know that Michael Pittman Jr. gave him a phone call. I know Darius Leonard reached out to him and so on and so forth. So it's a matter of can Carson stay healthy, first and foremost? Can Carson be revitalized, not to maybe necessarily 2017 Carson, but to 2018, 2019, to where he was just making the right play for them to win, for him to make the the correct decision to put our team in the best situation to win. Maybe instead of that 
60-yard pass down the seam where the safety may or may not pick it off. You check it down to Jonathan Taylor or Naeem Hines to get a 10-yard first down. You know what I mean? His decision-making needs to improve. I know that Carson Wentz was the most sacked quarterback in football last year because of the Eagles' offensive line. And I also know that since Carson Wentz has been in the league, he has fumbled the ball the most times at any position since he's been in the league. So I know that Carson needs to take care of the ball security at that point. And I know that the offensive line will help him. Um, it's like Dan Orlovsky said uh, about la last week. Uh, uh, Dan Orlovsky said this last week. I think that this Indianapolis team can be somewhat similar to that 2017 Philadelphia Eagles team where the offense is just good enough. The defense is good. The offensive line is great. And we have great running backs. And if you really look at it from top to bottom, we have a great organization. Uh, we kept our first round pick this year. We kept our second round pick this year. So, I mean, in the draft, we have capital. We have uh, opportunities to trade back and get more picks. Obviously, we know that this past week, the Colts were voted the uh, top 2020 draft, uh, draft class of the year. We know that we have about $38 million of cap space. So I'm just looking for the Colts to make two or three moves this offseason, draft excluded. I want us to get a top pass rusher, at least somebody, whether that is, uh, you know, Shaquille Barrett, you know, maybe not for the top pass rusher price if he's willing to take a pay cut, which we talked about earlier. I don't think he will. Um, all reports are leading towards the Colts having mutual interest with J.J. Watt, him having interest in us. Uh, a lot of other reports are indicating that his interest lies within Pittsburgh mainly because of his brother and then Green Bay to compete with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, if we can somehow find a way to trade for Orlando Brown out there at the left tackle in Baltimore without giving up too much capital, that'd be great. So I really want to solidify edge rusher. I want to solidify the left tackle position. Obviously, we need to really address that wide receiver position because aside from Michael Pittman Jr., we are really, 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 really thin. T.Y. Hilton being a free agent, Paris Campbell being injury prone, Zach Pascal not being a definitive number two. It, it, it's kind of a revolving door out there since the Marvin and Reggie days. T.Y. seemed to be the most consistent, but between injury and age and him being up for a contract, it kind of leads me to believe that he's going to leave this offseason. Uh, I don't think that the acquisition of Carson helped that case because of the limited cap space that we're going to have. So um, excitement. I believe is the, the, the word that I'm trying to use. I do apologize for taking this much time, but I didn't get to speak about it when, when it happened. And a, a lot of what I'm saying now is uh, pretty much what I said two weeks ago when we were thinking about it. So I think that we win the South. Uh, I think that we make noise in the playoffs. I think that Carson, if he plays decent or at least at, uh, a little bit above average, it puts us to be a top four seed in the AFC alone. And it, it's a matter of our defense coming to play and uh, Carson playing efficiently, man. I'm excited. I'm happy. Yeah, basically, I'm just going to just summarize what I basically said last week. And that is, look, when you add Carson Wentz to the team, if he plays well, and it's always indicative if they play well, I could realistically see the Colts being a top three, top four team in the AFC. I don't think that they're going to rival the, the Chiefs and the Bills because it does seem like those two teams right now are like top two teams in the AFC. We'll see what happens with the Ravens and we'll see what happens with the Steelers because they are going to bring back Big Ben for another year. With that said, though, I think this will be a, a great opportunity for Carson Wentz. I think this will actually be somewhat of a refreshing move for his career just because just to get out of Philly and all the frustration that he had with the shenanigans that were going on in Philly last year, I think it'll just be nice to get away from that. They are not going to solely rely on him like they were when he was with Philly because you have a solid running game in Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins as the 
the third running back. Um, also, Marlon Mack, but we'll see what happens with him if he comes back. Free agent, um, we'll see what happens. The wide receiver position, it's it's okay. We'll see what happens with, with T.Y. if he ends up coming back. I don't know whether or not that he will. But they do have some decent tight ends to throw to that Carson has available at his, at his disposal. So I look at it like this with Carson. They, they don't have to solely rely on him as much as he was – the, the main guy leading Philly's offense when he was with the Eagles. So you pair that with the defense that Indianapolis has, the coach and Frank Reich, if we could see something similar to what he replicated in the 2017 season where he was basically the top MVP candidate before he ended up tearing his ACL, I think this is going to be a great move for Phil, not for not Philly, for Indianapolis in the long run. And I, this is one thing that I did forget to mention is the fact that, that they have an offensive line. You don't have to worry about Carson Wentz getting sacked 30 to 40 times a season anymore or running from his life because his offensive line doesn't want to protect, doesn't want to protect him. Like basically things like that were happening in Philly where it looked like his offensive line didn't really want to block for him. So I think the main thing going forward is just establishing trust with his teammates. If he's able to do that, I don't see a problem with this trade. I thought that this was a trade that Indianapolis should pursue. It has come to reality. And now, you know, just focus on the, the trading activities that they're going to have with OTAs probably in next month or so. We'll see what, we'll see what happens in the drafts. See if they maybe pick up somebody in free agency. But I think right now, the way that it, I think things are looking up in Indianapolis, I think it's going to be a still, it's still going to be a tough battle for the AFC South with Tennessee because Tennessee is a solid divisional foe for them, but they are much more. I think that they're in a better position for the long term than they were with Philip Rivers, just because Philip Rivers was basically just on his last leg. But even on his last leg, he was able to get that team to the playoffs and be competitive against a really solid Buffalo team on the road. And I think if you put Carson Wentz in that situation, I think it gives them a better shot. I don't know if it's going to put them at the top of the AFC, but I think it's going to put them in at best a top three, top four spot in the AFC. Fingers crossed, homie. Hopefully so. But obviously, uh, uh, excluding the Carson Wentz trade that actually came to fruition, um, we got some other quarterbacks that are continuously making some buzz, making some noise in terms of the, uh, the market. Deshaun Watson has officially, not officially, but I mean, like he has openly accepted three teams to be his particular landing spot if that uh, situation becomes available with between the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets, and the Carolina Panthers. So I want to ask you, where do you think he fits best upon those teams and why? Now, the thing is, each of those teams has completely different cap space situations available to them. So that means more than likely if a team that has less cap space available would have to include some players to release some of that cap space. So think about this. Do you think he would be better off with Jets, with the new head coach and Robert Sala? Do you think he would be best in Miami with their playoff contending team right now? Or do you think that he would be best in Carolina? Because I don't know if Carolina is going to be a good situation because rumor has it they're going to have to include that Christian McCaffrey package to get them in that ballpark to get, you know, relieve some cap as well as to get Houston a player in return. Well, I don't see, I'd be really surprised 
if Carolina ends up trading Christian McCaffrey for Deshaun Watson. I just do not see that happening. I think I think Carolina would give up like two to three first round picks for Deshaun, but they are not going to give up Christian McCaffrey for that trade. No way, because you have a franchise piece there with Christian McCaffrey, and I I'd be really shocked if they actually pull the trigger on that trade. Now, with that said, I did a segment on my last on the last episode where I talked about this. I had four teams. Deshaun ended up picking three out of my four. The other team that I had was the 49ers. So if I'm looking at this from a cap space perspective, obviously the Jets make the most sense. The Jets have the most cap space, actually have the second most cap space behind the Jaguars. The only thing is, though, is that the Jets suck. Do you? But the thing is, Deshaun really doesn't have a say in this. Obviously, he has his preferred choices of going. That would be the last place that I would want to go to because, look, I think I, I if I'm Deshaun, I don't want to be part of a rebuilding project. I would rather go somewhere like Miami. Miami has a solid foundation already. They have a solid defense. They have solid pieces to, to go with um, if Deshaun were able to go there. They've got Devontae Parker. They've got um, Devontae's a free agent this year, though. Remember that. So that's contracts gonna, again. They're gonna have they're gonna they're gonna resign him. They're you gonna, think they tag you think they tag Devontae then? You mean you probably. think if they uh Probably. That's what you have to do because they have the cap space. They have the cap. They, they, they have the cap space to make it work. Um, that would be the team that I would most be intrigued at this point to see him on, just because the forty. I, I said that the 49ers were the most interesting team to me if he were to go somewhere. But since he didn't mention the 49ers, I'll go with Miami then, just because that team, I think, is pretty good right now as currently constructed. You add Deshaun to the team. They're even better. They th- that that team could honestly rival Buffalo in the AFC East at this point if they were to add Deshaun Watson to the roster. With that said, though, the one thing that you have to keep in mind here is that Deshaun's cap hit for this season is fifteen million dollars. It goes to forty next year. It's a huge, huge cap hit that these teams are going to have to accommodate for if they're going to make the the move to get Deshaun. So the only teams that could really make that move are teams like Miami, teams like the Jets. Um, who was the third team that he mentioned? Carolina? Mm-hmm. Carolina is making a lot of moves internally to make cap room. But like you said, with $40 million being a hit to the next season, I don't know if that's feasible. Yeah, because they, they're going to have to unload a lot yeah. of players. So I, I, I did mention that if it were between um, – the Panthers and the uh, the Jets, I think, that I would say he would go to the Panthers. Um, I, I don't know at this point. Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, I think his best chance for success is with Miami. I think um, being with New York it would just be part of a rebuild project, and I think it would just be terrible for his career. I don't think they'd go anywhere. And with Carolina... Carolina would be a viable team. It's just that I don't know how much that they're going to have left after accommodating for Deshaun's contract. That's going to be the main issue with them. I exactly. Think. They're going to have no pieces to build around. It's going to be another situation where you have that's the a, thing. A, 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 you have a stud quarterback. You got no receivers. You got basically no defense because 
It's, it, it, what do you, I don't I don't understand why these teams are the ones he wants to go to. It doesn't make sense. I mean, obviously, the coaching prospect of Matt Rule being his head coach is enticing. Robert Sala being a defensive-minded head coach maybe entices him to say, you know what, maybe he'll turn the defense around so I can score on the offense. They can take my salary, and then we can go and get Allen Robinson. I don't know. Miami, like I said, and like you said, would be the most uh, realistic option, but that would involve a Tua-Deshaun swap. I don't know if Miami's willing to part ways with Tua that easily without some form of a compensation back, uh, maybe a, a third or a fourth round pick back. But we know that Houston is more than likely going to demand not only Tua, but two to three first round picks behind him. So we're, we're going to keep spinning around this for the next couple of weeks. It, I think that this topic is going to be trending for a while, but it's uh, until all, Deshaun makes something, we're not going to know. It's all hypothetical. It's all speculation mm-hmm. at this point. I'll say this just to kind of just throw something out there just for the hell of it. If Deshaun goes to Miami, that team could realistically be a Super Bowl contending team. I could actually see that because I think Deshaun is that big of an X factor. Because it is. Because here's the thing: defensively, they're pretty solid. Brian Flores has been really been one of the only Belichick disciples that's actually had somewhat of success in the league so far after he's left New England, and. Deshaun, I think, would have almost kind of like a similar effect that Brady had with Tampa's defense this year. I think Tampa's defense was fully confident in what Brady could do offensively, and they never had to play from behind. They could play from ahead. I think you put Deshaun in that mix. I think that's a similar effect. Okay, but there's a difference, though. Name name me some weapons. Who do they have on the offensive end that isn't Devontae Parker? Who are their running backs? Well, they, I mean, I, they're running backs. Who's the, who was the one guy? Gaskin? No, 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 no. There's a different, I forget the guy's name. He kind of popped up out of nowhere. Um, I forget his name. He had I mean, a really, went to the, Balazs went to the, the No, 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 somebody else. Um, I, they have another running back outside of Gaskin who actually had a solid game against, I remember against the Patriots. I just, I just forget his name. Oh, 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 I know who you're talking about. Um, Ahmad or something like that. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. I think his name is Ahmad. And I think, if I remember right, they have Matt Breida on the team. Oh, please. Matt Breida was hurt, basically. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like he, I said, name, name me somebody that's consistent on that team that is not I, Devontae Parker. That's what I'm saying. They have Gusecki at the tight end spot. Gusecki was so up and down. There were games where he had no receptions. There were games where he had seven targets. It was like, it's up Look, and down with that. I, listen, I think if you put Deshaun in on that mix, that's going to be his security blanket. I think it's. I think Gusecki's going to be to a security blanket if he ends up staying there. Depends on whether or not they actually pull for the, pull, uh, execute the trade or not. But I'll tell you this. Deshaun, Deshaun's going to have, if he were to go to Miami, he'd have a solid target in, if Devontae Parker stays, obviously. In him, he would have a solid target in Gasecki, and then they can they can mix up the running back field with Matt Breida, yeah, Matt Gaskin. I'm just saying that's something that they can work with. You have Deshaun Watson on the team; that's something that, it, that they can work with. It may be a it, probably a little bit of a stretch to say that they're a Super Bowl contending team if you had Deshaun Watson on the team, but could they have a similar effect that Tampa had with Brady this season? Maybe I'm not going to rule it out. Obviously they have to execute the trade first, but you know, time would tell. And, and look, 
I think if I remember right, um, doesn't Miami have like a top like five pick this year? Yeah, but I, I think uh, uh, my source is my brother, who has obviously, as you know, last week his sources can be somewhat questionable at best. <laughs> um, according to him, he believes that the GM in front office does not want to let go of that pick because of the capital that it presents, because of the playmaking ability of the receivers that are available at the top of the board, a.k.a. Devonta Smith, Jamar Chase, if he falls, you know what I'm saying? Like they can go and get a playmaker with that first pick. They might be willing to part ways with the later picks in the first round, but not the top five. No way. If I remember right, they have a, they have the number three pick and then the number 18 pick. Which is insane. Yeah. So they're, they're looking, that's what I kind of, that's the one thing that I did forget to mention is that they have that top draft pick this year where they could go after Devonte Smith. They could go after Jamar Chase. They could add, another receiver to that receiving core. And if they were to bring in Deshaun, it's a lot better. Who's to say, who's to say that they couldn't make a, a good run in the playoffs. I don't know about Super Bowl, but good run. Yes. I, I agree there. I'm just saying like, you look at the season that Justin Jefferson had his first season in the NFL, Devonte Smith, Jamar chase. They could have, I'm not saying that they're going to have the same amount of success as what Justin Jefferson had this year, but you add similar. Yeah. You, add, you add an exciting layer to the quarterback position with the Sean Watson. I'm just saying that's a team that could, I'm saying could, I'm not saying they will, could be in the running as an outside shot to get to the Super Bowl. I'm just saying could. I'm not saying they will. Makes sense. No, no, no. But, makes sense. You're right. So that's kind of how I see it. Now, we did talk about this before the, the episode started. And that is the situation that's going on in Seattle with Russell Wilson. There has been kind of some tension growing between Seattle's front office and Russell Wilson over the past few weeks after Russell Wilson voiced his concerns about the team moving forward from just an offensive strategy uh, perspective and the team as a whole. So just where do you think that this relationship stands between Seattle and Russell Wilson at this point for you? I know that we talked about this a multitude of times prior to the, the episode and throughout the weeks. Um, we stand on two different sides of the table here. I think that this 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 situation is getting worse. Obviously, nowhere near Deshaun Watson, nowhere near Carson Wentz in Philly. But the, the the relationship is teetering. I believe that Russell Wilson's camp is absolutely frustrated with Seattle's lack of protecting their franchise quarterback, their franchise player. As we have stated on a multitude of episodes, they have kind of lacked that success factor that they had early on in Russell's career. The defense has depleted. Uh, the offensive line has continued to get worse and worse throughout the integrity of Russell's career. So I'm just, I'm, I'm looking here and I'm seeing rumors and reports. Obviously, I don't know how, how true or accurate that they are, but there were some reports out there saying that uh, Seattle reached out to Philly about a Zach Urge trade, which once again puts Seattle in the backseat of this because it just goes to show they're not really focusing on trying to get any acquisition to make the line better for Russell. Um, also, I've realized that the tight end position is somewhere somewhere on this roster that is not a priority because they have had some stellar tight ends in the past that have just not produced. They had Jimmy Graham, they had Greg Olson, they had uh, – some other tight end, I forget his name. Oh my God, there was another tight end that was well, like pretty solid. Well, I mean, they had Disley. They had they, they, Disley they, they, and a few other role players, but they were good tight ends. Yeah, they, they had um, uh, what's his name? Uh, he used to be a former Patriot. He was playing with them this uh the past couple of years. 
forget his name. Um, Regardless, yeah, it it, it just it, it goes to show that the front office is continuing to pay attention oh. to the Jake to Hollister. what Jake Hollister. Jake Hollister. They, 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 they're focusing on the wrong things here. Obviously, free agency isn't open yet, so we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, we know that the draft is about a month and a half away, so we still have time. But in the early stages of this feud between the franchise quarterback and the, and the organization, it just seems that they're getting farther and farther apart from what it is that they want. They, want, they both want to stay. They both want to win. Russell just wants to stay healthy. It's in Seattle's best interest with that contract that they gave Russell to keep him healthy. But Seattle continues every offseason to pay attention to the wrong pieces. They got DJ Metc- DK Metcalf in the draft. They freaking they got rid of Tyler. They, they signed Tyler Lockett to an extension. They got rid of Baldwin. They got rid of Jimmy. Drag Olson retired. Like the Legion of Boom is broken apart. Marshawn Lynch left. Like, what else do you want? He is solely probably the last piece on this team that is still relevant to their Super Bowl years. And you're not, you're not keeping him happy. Are you kidding me? So my, my, my biggest thing is I need when free agency opens, when those gates are available to negotiate, they better get on the horn and they better see what Orlando Brown's camp is doing. They better see what, what some top offensive linemen free agents are doing because Russell has the keys to the kingdom to say, yo, I'm going to hold out because I'm not taking a beating anymore. Will that hit him contractually? Absolutely. But we've seen star players throughout this league within the last five years say, I, I, I'm not playing until I get my money, a.k.a. Le'Veon Bell, a.k.a. what's going on with Deshaun Watson right now. You know what I'm saying? Players aren't scared to say, fuck it, I'll pay the fine. So I think it's in Seattle's best interest cut all talks with every other available free agent and trade if it has nothing to do with that offensive line because if Russell walks, you fall right back into that mediocre section of the NFC West of being the laughing stock. And I think that they need to do what they have to do to make their star player happy. Watch Bill Belichick trade two second-round draft picks and a bag of chips to get Russell Wilson. Bro, I'm just telling you right now. Oh. I'm just playing. No, no. Just, just play. No, I but, deny but, it. No, I don't want it. I, I won't allow it. I'll call to Goodell myself. You better Chris Paul that shit. You better veto that shit. Look, let me, let, let me talk about this Russell situation here. You mentioned it with the situation not being as bad as like Deshaun Watson in Houston and Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. And I'm 100% with you. To me, I see tension between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks front office here. I do not see a divide. It does not reach that point where Russell is demanding a trade. And I remember Brandon Marshall, we talked about this probably a couple weeks ago. Two, where, two three weeks ago. Yeah. Where Brandon Marshall was saying that Russell Wilson, this is his way of saying that I want to get out of Seattle by doing it in a proper manner. And I, and Politely, I, yeah. And, and, I di- and I disagree with it because I think – Russell Wilson is so invested into Seattle, and I don't think it's reached a point where there's been a burning of the bridges yet. I don't think that that has happened yet. Do I think that there are issues on this team? Absolutely. Because the offensive line has been a major issue, like you pointed out. And not only does it have an effect on Russell Wilson, it has an effect on the running game too. If the offensive line is not producing the way that they're supposed to, it doesn't open up run lanes for running backs like Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson. It definitely affects Russell Wilson because he's getting sat a significant amount of times. It almost kind of similar. It's almost similar to what Andrew Luck was dealing with when Chris Ballard was a GM and they couldn't protect him. And look what happened to him. And I don't know if that's possibly 
a factor that's playing into Russell Wilson's frustration. Looking at somebody like, look, the Colts weren't able to protect Andrew Luck, their star player, and he ended up retiring just because of the physical beating he took throughout his career. Russell Wilson has been a pretty durable quarterback, despite being hit the amount of times that he's been hit due to the lack of offensive line production that they've gotten from this group. So at this point, let this play out. We'll see what happens in the draft. We'll see what happens in free agency, because I will say this. If they don't draft somebody in, if they don't really draft any sort of decent pieces, the offensive line in this year's draft, then I could see some red flags there. I think it's too early to say that though. We'll see what happens in free agency. If they're able to pick up somebody, if they're able to draft somebody, I think that'll probably be, that'll be kind of like the, the telltale sign for me to say, okay, now it's time to really worry about Russell Wilson, maybe being traded from Seattle, but Seattle's going to give up Russell Wilson. No. Listen, man. They, it, they, they, they my, know they know how valuable he is in a franchise. And I think they're going to try to rectify the issues on this team as best as they can. But if they don't get this offensive line squared away with, then I would be concerned. But we have to get through free agency first, and we have to see what happens in the draft. With, without a doubt, no arguments here. Russell Wilson's durability has been shocking to me because he has been probably the most hit or most sacked quarterback since he's been in the league now that Andrew Luck has retired. Yeah. Um, that durability is going to hit a point where it stops. Russell Wilson's getting up there in age. He's about 30, 31 years old. Yep. And Russell's wheels are going to continue to slow down, get that wear and tear, that mileage. You know as good as I do, it takes one hit to change your life. Russell cannot afford to be taking those hits anymore because he's in the latter part of his career where he's still in his prime, but he's coming towards that back nine of being or should be a little bit more of a pocket presence aware quarterback because he can't afford to take those hits that he had early on in his career because of the lack of depth that Seattle does not have at the quarterback position. If Seattle doesn't make a move early, I think this becomes a divide. I, I may have misquoted myself. I think that the, the the relationship is teetering. But I think if, like you said, if they don't address it early, it will become a bigger issue than what it is now because it's going to be some somewhat like the Green Bay situation, in my opinion, of them drafting a position, maybe not a quarterback, but them drafting positions that Russell's like, how does this help me? And that's going to send a message to Russell's camp saying, oh, they're calling my bluff. Oh, they're not going to protect me. I'm a holdout or I'm a requested trade. I'm telling you, the way that these quarterbacks are handling this offseason the last couple of years is going to show Russell, polite or not, they obviously don't have my health as a priority and I want to continue to play in this league. I got to go somewhere where they're going to actually make me a priority and a focus. I don't think he'll go to like the Jets or he'll go to the Lions or something of the sort. Obviously, I know Jared Goff is just giving bad teams as an example. But it's the point of, I don't know if Russell's willing to settle and continue to give Seattle the benefit of the doubt if a move isn't made within the first couple of days of free agency. I, tr- I truly don't see it. That's just my personal opinion. He can't keep getting these hits, man. And I, and, and I, think, that, I think that Seattle's front office is feeling the pressure the farther this, that this goes along. Yeah. Like I said, we'll wait. I, I want to wait till the draft. Yeah. Yeah, wait of course. Wait till the draft, see what happens in free agency. And if... The- if the offensive line 
issue is not addressed in those two events, then I would be I'd be a little bit more concerned. The fire starts. The fire yeah. starts to be yeah. bigger. Yeah, I, 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 I would say that right now. There's a there, there's a little bit of smoke, but I wouldn't say there's a fire yet. We're I, we're nowhere near the point. We're not to the point where the house was burned down compared to Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz in their respective no. cities. Nowhere near that yet. But with that said, we're going to transition into another chaotic situation. Well, I wouldn't say as chaotic as Seattle, but a chaotic situation that is brewing in Dallas with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys front office. So, I mean, at this point, it does seem like the Cowboys are probably going to franchise tag Dak Dak Prescott once again, not give him the long-term contract that he's been asking for probably for the past two seasons. So, do you would you say that this situation in Dallas is a lot more volatile than what's going on with Russell in Seattle? 130%. I don't think Dak leaves, but I'm just going a little rant. This might be my bodega moment real quick, right? Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. You let you see it here live. Well, where's by the time Yankee, you see it, it won't be where's live. Where's your Yankee hat, though? My Yankee hats are in my closet. I ain't running all the way over there. <laughs> Yo. I think Jerry Jones has lost his flipping mind. I've said flipping three times because I'm trying to avoid cursing as much as I do because I feel like <laughs> kids do watch this. But at the end of the day, fuck it. Um, I think Jerry <laughs> Jones is ridiculous because let's pay attention to the signs. Dak Prescott requests a long-term contract. Dak Prescott gets tagged. Dak Prescott balls out before the injury. Absolutely shows them without me, you're garbage. Andy Dalton played decent towards the end of the season, but it was way too late. Dak's camp comes back and probably asks for more because he proved it once again. Hey, in the games that I played, I threw for 450 yards three times in a season that I played five or six games. Are you kidding me? Like, what more does Jerry need to see? He's probably asking upwards of somewhere, not in the Patrick Mahomes area, but yearly money, high 30s, early 40 million. DeAndre, oh, DeAndre, Deshaun Watson's getting 40 million next season. Patrick Mahomes is getting 50 million and more every other year, if not every year going forward. The man has literally got every ounce of control, and Jerry Jones continues to say, we are not getting closer. Bro, if you don't stop fucking around, he's going to leave. Because this man showed last season, I ate my words when I said that Carson Wentz was better. I ate my words when, when, when I said that Dak Prescott was not as good as a quarterback as everybody was leading to believe. I laughed when they tagged him for $32 million, and now the tag is what, 37 It's pretty high. I know it's higher from like, last year. So, so that's another thing cap continues to go up revenue continues to go up so the cap the tag continues to get bigger why not just give him that what you're giving him for one and spread it out across a five or six year deal do you want him to leave do you want ezekiel elliott to get traded do you want freaking uh cd lamb to see that there's a disgruntled front office with their leadership that just dallas has a problem, and the problem is Jerry Jones. He's the owner and the GM, and he needs to stop being the GM. He needs to hand it off to his kids. He needs to hire someone else because Jerry can't do it anymore. I've had about enough. Dak deserves the money. I know that Isabel and her family are not going to want to hear this, even though none of them listen to this other than maybe her cousin. Dak played it good enough last year to show that he's worth money, 
And Jerry saying, no, we're going to tag you again, just shows the incompetence of Jerry Jones because if he decides to walk, he requests a trade, he decides not to play. Dallas sucks again. They can't win without him. Last year showed it, leveraged to Dak Prescott's camp. I mean, look, I'll say this. Before Dak's injury last year where he broke his leg, he was playing at probably the best level that he's had throughout his entire career, maybe outside of his rookie season where the Cowboys went off that season. And he was doing that with the worst defense in the league last year before he got hurt. Now, with that said, obviously the issue here is money. And I don't know what the Cowboys value Dak Prescott at on an annual basis. I imagine that they are probably valuing him somewhere around the 30 to $35 million per year range. Dax camp is probably thinking, okay, they're looking at the, the market of quarterbacks like in Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, even Matt Stafford, looking at these guys getting. And Lamar Jackson's contract coming this off season too. In excess of over $35 million. And in Patrick Mahomes case, he's making freaking $50 million a year. The thing is with Dak Prescott is Dak Prescott is not that type of quarterback. He is not at the Patrick Mahomes level. So I think when you look at the, the quarterback market, I think that he's a serviceable quarterback. Is he the best quarterback in the division? Yeah, probably right now I would say that. Is he the best? Yeah, there's no one there that'd be better. Daniel he, Jones, is, Alex Smith, Heineke, no. Is he the best quarterback in the conference? No. Aaron Rodgers is by far and away the best quarterback in the conference, maybe outside of Tom Brady. Um, that's where I kind of see Dak. Dak is a good, he's a good quarterback. And he should get paid as such. He should not he's be top getting, five quarterback in the conference. He, who? He's a top five quarterback in the conference. Yeah, I would say that. But outside of that, he should not be, I don't think he, that he's worthy of garnering a 40 plus million dollar a year contract. And there have been rumors and there have been reports that Dax camp was asking basically either near that or at that for Dak Prescott. And from the Cowboys perspective, I understand where the divide is based on what they value him on a year to year basis on a long-term deal. But look, if you're going to continue to franchise tag him, you're pretty much just going to say, all right, you know what? You know, we're going to do this on a year-to-year basis because we can't seem to work out this long-term deal. I think it's going to get to a point where it's like, Dex, like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm got, It's like, I'm gone. Like, I, like, it's just not going to happen anymore because you're, you're not giving him the long-term security that he wants. And look, he wanted this deal done last year. He didn't get it. And look what happened. He didn't get a long-term financial security that he wanted and he you know he's basically all the franchise tag at this point is just, you're just leasing out the player for another year that's all you're doing and it is kind of disrespectful to Dak because Dak has really gone to bat for this team I know that the Cowboys are a consistently inconsistent team but it's not because of Dak Prescott no it's the damn defense can't def- it can't defend a freaking part car dude Dak is giving that they, giving that they, team they, everything that he can. And Dallas just can't seem to get the priorities right. But I can understand why Dallas is saying you're not a $40 million a year quarterback because he's not. 
He's not, but Dallas like, did this to themselves. Last yeah. year, they had the opportunity to pay him, and they didn't, so the market went up. Dak yeah. played at a great level, then Th- he got that- hurt, and they sucked, so the contract demand went up. This is all Jerry's fault. Yeah, and I get that. But I understand the 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 initial context of Dallas not thinking that he was a $40 million quarterback. I understand so that. Let, let somebody else pay him then. Let him walk. Tagging I, him again and again is disrespectful. It is, because – you're going to treat basically your franchise that way. I just, I think that is, I think that is disrespectful on their part, but I also think Dax camp probably needed to get a reality check from Dallas saying you're not worth, you're not worth $40 million a year. And I fully understand that from Dallas's perspective. Agreed. But at the quarterback position, they should have probably agreed probably somewhere like around like 37, five last year that's what they probably should have just they should have just agreed to like they gave him 32.3 or four with the tag they should have gave him 33 to 35 this season made it bigger so now it's probably 37 40 my thing is you have to pay him before lamar gets his contract because lamar Lamar gets his deal lamar gets his deal that's another quarterback that's younger well i mean gets a bigger contract i mean patrick really reset the whole market that's different, though. He's an outlier because he's a freak of nature. That's not even a joke. The things that he's been doing, we've talked about so many times on both podcasts and together, are unfathomable that none of these quarterbacks can keep up with him at the level that he's producing. That's fair. It's That's the fair. point of the market itself continues to grow with every young and up-and-coming quarterback. So yeah. you're literally going to sit here and tell me Carson Wentz is making more than Dak Prescott and deserves it. No, he got paid because of one productive season. Lamar Jackson, three- to four-year kid that's coming to this league, lit a spark, and the Ravens are now relevant once again. He, is he better than the, the Dak Prescott? To me, no, I don't think so. I think Dak is a better overall quarterback because of him producing with less, yeah. and he does not have the mobility of Lamar Jackson to be able to have the escapability and Baltimore has a way better defense. Anybody has a better defense than the Cowboys. Yeah. And all of the quarterbacks that precede these young guys that are making more than him. I think if the Cowboys don't get it done this season, we're going to have not a conversation of him leaving or potentially being traded. I think Dak suits up somewhere completely different next season if this doesn't get done. Tag or not, Jerry says, yo, we're giving you 37 to tag this year. Come play for us. All I got to say is, if he balls out, and if this man hoops the way he was hooping earlier last year or this past season, his market jumps immediately at the 40 cap, if not into the 40s, because the cap goes up again next season. Yeah. And other quarterbacks are going to get paid too. So it, it, it's, it's the tale of two swords. You pay him now, and you, you, you bite the bullet, or you pay him next season, and you bite a bigger bullet. Either way, you're taking a hit to your cap. So Dallas needs to make a decision on – do I take the hit now and structure the contract to where I can take the hit at different times? Or do I keep letting this quarterback market get bigger until the point of Dak Prescott's going to be basically paid 40 to $45 million a year? It's either that or they get a contract ironed out quick. And there's no way I think that is happening anytime soon. There's been no indication. Nope. They're, 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 they're on polar sides. They're not even talking. They're done. He's going to get tagged again. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think at this point, you got to really start counting the days in 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 Dallas for Dak, because I don't yep. I don't think it's going to be. I think after this season, 
if they can't even get close to a contract, that he's gone. He's gone. Oh, 100%. 100%. He leaves. Zeke will leave. The offensive line slowly is deteriorating. Yep. Once Zeke leaves, C.D. Lamb's contract will come up with no quarterback. He ain't going to stay past the rookie deal and so on and so forth. The dominoes will continue to fall. Yep. I think it, it, really the success, the, the, the short-term success for the Dallas Cowboys at this point is really dependent on this Dak situation. Yep. But with that said, we'll transition into the, the final topic of today's episode, and that's going to revolve around – the reports are circulating that Ben uh, that Ben Roethlisberger is going to return for what could be his final season with the Pittsburgh Steelers for the 2021 season. I mentioned, um, actually, you and I and Tyree mentioned that we we thought we saw the last season with Big Ben in the Steelers last year, just because it did, it did seem like at certain points that he was kind of hinting at retirement just in some of the press conferences that he had, he definitely seemed a little bit more vulnerable to the idea of, you know, hanging it up at the end of the season, but it does seem like that he is going to come back this season. I believe uh, the owner and Ben Roethlisberger had a conversation and he basically, basically gave him his word that he was going to come back for this season upcoming. So where do you see this going for the Pittsburgh Steelers with big Ben potentially coming back this season. So I only have one thing to do. Um, I forgot to ask you before the episode started. Can you just look up the details of Ben's contract for me, just so I can see what he's expected to be paid this next season? Um, Overall, it really depends on what Pittsburgh does in free agency upon the offensive side of the ball. We do know that Juju Smith-Schuster is available. We do know that the Pouncey Twins just announced their retirement. We do know that the running back situation is a little bit in question with James Conner and, you know, his injuries over the last couple of seasons. Will they tag him? Will they give him an extension and so on and so forth? Um, Ben's inconsistency throughout the season. Yes, he threw a a good amount of touchdowns. He had a, a great comeback overall as the potential comeback player of the year. But there were a lot of moments where you did see his age come into play. And you did see his decision-making slowly start to deteriorate throughout the integrity of the year. I mean, what did he have? Three picks in that playoff game against the Browns, maybe four. It was a bad game. game. Yeah, it happens. But I I don't know if Pittsburgh is willing to throw a big enough bag at him rather than focus on signing somebody like J.J. Watt. I don't know if they have enough of a bag to keep Bud Dupree. It all depends. Uh, if Ben's a free agent, which I don't think that he is, I think he's still under contract for he one is. year. Yeah, this is his final year in his contract. So how much is he supposed to make this year? Well, it says on SportTrack that he signed a two-year deal for $68 million. Um, last year, he made $26 million. He's scheduled to make, I believe, $19 million this year. Um, the only thing is, though, his cap hit is like $41 million this year. Exactly. So they're going to have to restructure that to put him at maybe the $25 million, maybe the $30 million mark to get some form of cap relief. Yeah. Uh, like I stated, there are a lot of couple, there are a lot of free agents that they have to pay attention to and, you know, consider bringing back. I don't know if they tag Juju. I don't know if they tag James. I don't know if they tag Bud. Bud did tear his ACL, so they probably will let him walk. So it – it really depends on what they're going to do there in Pittsburgh. Um, ben is obviously probably one of the greatest quarterbacks 
in Pittsburgh history behind Terry Bradshaw, if not the best Pittsburgh quarterback ever. It's, it, it's really just the point of can Pittsburgh win with Ben Roethlisberger? Obviously, we know that Ben is better than Mason Rudolph and anybody else that they have on that roster. But um, are you willing to bank enough of your cap hit or your cap uh, availability on a, a late 30 year old quarterback? And, you know, the, the question is, I think he gives you a better shot than anybody else, but I don't know, man, that, that, that it's all a matter of how they're willing to work that cap. But based off of the conversation that he had with the owner that I got an understanding of is that they're willing to restructure and they're willing to build. So, yeah, I think it's a good move for Pittsburgh to keep him. And it gives them another year to kind of, you know, maybe draft another quarterback to kind of watch him in the backfield. Obviously we know that uh, not in the backfield, watch him on the sideline. We know that Mason Rudolph just didn't pan out in the opportunities that he was given. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think at this point, when it comes to the Steelers, I think this is it. This is their last year to go for a title. Because I think after this year, I think Ben's done. Honestly, there were points in time last year where it looked like he was done. And I remember um, when they were losing the game to the Cleveland Browns in the AFC wildcard game, and you saw Ben Roethlisberger talking to the Pouncey, uh, was it Marquise? I can't remember which one it is. Yeah, he was talking to one of the Pouncey brothers on a sideline. And, you know, he was definitely emotional about the whole situation of them getting bounced out of the playoffs in in the first round when they got off to a fantastic start last year. They got off to an 11-0 start, and then they completely fell apart at the end of the season. And they got absolutely railed by Cleveland in the first game of the playoffs. So, look, I think this is – the last year that they're going to have as a viable championship contending team. And I think after this year, they're going to be in for a major rebuild. So I think at this point, you, they got to start preparing for Ben Roethlisberger's departure after this season. And they better start looking for a quarterback because they're going to be looking for one very soon. And if they don't get those wheels turning sooner rather than later, they're going to be a world of trouble after big Ben leaves because once he leaves and they don't have that quarterback situation figured out, they are going to be in a very dark place for the foreseeable future. Big time, big, big, big time. Pittsburgh's dynasty or Pittsburgh's little legacy over the last 15, 16 years is it's coming to an end. We all know what, what Ben did in the earlier ladder of his career, bringing two Super Bowl titles within five or six years to the city of Pittsburgh, which was great after that, you know, consistent playoff appearances. But uh, obviously we know that, uh, Everybody has their, their window. Everybody has their time. And it, other than Brady, it just seems like uh, everybody kind of hits that wall. So yep. it's we all, we all know Ben's at that point now where it's, it's, it's win or go home. And I don't think they have enough to win, but they definitely have enough to compete. And it all, it all, you know, it all surrounds the availability of their, their cap hit. Yeah. It's just, I mean, he, he's 41 million on the cap th- this year. I mean, that's. Got to restructure that. Got to yeah, cut that, that big time. That's, that's a that's a lot of money. And Pittsburgh doesn't have that much cap space to begin with. They barely have any. They want to bring JJ. They're, they're restructuring a lot of people already. Yeah, they're, they're gonna have to. Re- they're gonna have to go. They're gonna have to overhaul some of these contracts. That they, I mean, look, they got to restructure ben, Ben's contract. But you know, bringing in free agents this year is gonna be tough for Pittsburgh. Yep. You know, agreed. You, but and, they'll make it happen if JJ, if uh, TJ wants it. If they had twenty to twenty five million in cap space, I could definitely see them maybe making that happen. But they're 
they don't have they they gotta they gotta cut some of this cap space they gotta cut some of these some of this cap before they can even be in the realm of possibility of making a trade or or making an acquisition um in free agency this year big time that's all i got for today though honestly it felt good to be back um i don't know if you have anything final closing statements no i i I think we hit it right where exactly where we thought it was going to be it's going to be probably somewhere around a two-hour episode and pretty much that's what we're we're looking at right now and i i'm good from here so i mean with that said you guys that'll pretty much wrap it up from here um i want to thank you guys for tuning in uh whether you were listening to the podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts we definitely appreciate it if you're watching it on youtube definitely appreciate the support um this will be available on youtube first thing in the morning so you guys will have access to it as soon as then kevin is there anything else you wanted to hit on before we wrap this up absolutely um i wanted to give a big shout out to all of our subscribers we are at 93 subscribers as of earlier this evening uh thank you to all of you that continuously watch and support kyle and i um everybody that comes in and likes the videos provides content comments we really do appreciate it we look at them intensively uh intensely should i say and we we want we want to give you guys the best content as as possible we want to make sure that you guys have things to to learn something from today we, we want to make sure that you guys have a, a good time listening we do know that uh the last couple of weeks have been difficult. I want to give a big shout out to Kyle. Um, me being unavailable because of the move over the last couple of weeks has been difficult, not only for Kyle, but myself. Um, the urge to want to get back in the booth, so to speak, as soon as humanly possible. Um, and, you know, a big shout out to a lot of the people that did help me move. Shout out to my girlfriend, Isabel, you know, without her keeping me sane and helping me kind of like rein in my uh, the struggles that I had internally at home. Uh, shout out to my friends that helped me move. You know, shout out to Dylan, my little brother, my dad. And a lot of other people, people that were patient with me, people that gave me advice, you know, big, big, big kudos to all of you. But uh, can't wait to go and record again next week and later this week because this is just this is what makes me happy. This is where uh, it brings me joy. And I know Kyle feels the same. So I appreciate everybody. For sure. And with that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up from here. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you guys sometime next week. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.